About five years ago, I was startled to discover that they were right. Exercise actually is good for you. <laughs> I had never voluntarily run anywhere in my life, including as a child, but somehow as a result of a very strange convergence of events, I actually gave it a shot, and it turns out they were right. Right? I really did feel better. I really did have more energy. I really did stop falling asleep in front of the TV at night. I really did start dropping weight. I really did start seeing other side health benefits. I really did need a lot less sleep. But the most surprising part of it was that I actually enjoyed it. Right? That, talk about weird. It turns out running was not some miserable chore that was done to accomplish some other thing. That the more I did it, the more I had consistency and discipline, the more it became fun. Times got shorter, runs got longer, things that seemed impossible became possible. Now, I will assure you, I will never win a race against anyone who is alive. <laughs> but there's a lot of satisfaction that comes from working hard and seeing and feeling the results. Well, just as they were right about exercise, there is something else that a different they have recommended for thousands of years, which gives even more important results. You see, for centuries, God's people have practiced certain things that bring them closer to God, that build and strengthen them spiritually. And it turns out that most of the time, they're actually enjoyable as well. The Apostle Paul describes them this way in 1 Timothy 4, 7, and 8. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Train yourself for godliness. This is the command from Paul, but the interesting thing is, right, the Holy Spirit does the work of transforming us to make us more like Jesus Christ, and yet Paul is saying that we play a critical role in that transformation as well, that we need to be engaging in some sort of spiritual fitness program, if you will, if we want to become more like Jesus. Train yourself for godliness. And so there are practices that have been used by God's people for thousands of years, and yet I want to assure you that even our ultra-postmodern age, they are still tremendously effective right here, right now, in Lake Ridge, Virginia. So this fall, we are looking at six classic spiritual practices, disciplines, for those who aren't afraid of the word, that are seen throughout Scripture and clearly have brought people closer to God's will and his habits. These are the habits of highly godly people. Pastor Neil kicked us off last week with an examination of the habit of godly prayer. How do we do it? What does it look like? What is the impact? The other habits we're going to be looking at this fall include giving, absorbing scripture, worshiping, fasting, and serving God. Now, in order to observe these practices in action, we are actually walking through a portion of the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. And, and Nehemiah is a book that is split into two halves. Most people don't remember that part. 
The first half is the famous part that everybody knows, right? It's talking about the massive effort to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem that had been destroyed, and, and they do it, and it's an incredible lesson in leadership and uh, working together and God's providence and protection uh, for the glory of God and, and for the preservation of the people. But the second half, the one that doesn't get a lot of attention, is actually, in many ways, the more interesting one because it transitions from rebuilding the wall to rebuilding the people of God, spiritually. You see, during 70 years of exile in Babylon, and really in the centuries leading up to it, the people of Israel had become ignorant and lax about what it meant to be the people of God. They had become lax in their faith. And so what we see in the latter half of Nehemiah is we see Nehemiah and Ezra the prophet leading the task of rebuilding God's people to be godly. And they accomplish this rebuilding work through prayer, giving, absorbing scripture, worshiping, fasting, and serving the Lord. These are the practices that have built up God's people then, and they are still the practices that are used by those who are consistently growing in the knowledge and the wisdom and the likeness and the love of Jesus Christ. And so if you are interested in growing consistently in the knowledge and the wisdom and the likeness and the love of Jesus Christ, then what we're talking about this fall is for you, whether you are in elementary school, high school, college, work life, senior citizen, whatever your season of life, these habits are for you. Building people up is a critical part of our task here at Lake Ridge. This is one of the three pillars upon which our 2020 vision for transformation and revitalization, not only of our church, but of this entire surrounding community of eastern Prince William County, stands. And if you look back to Nehemiah, way back in 445 B.C., we see that godly people made a godly nation, and that was the principle he acted on, and and from chapter 7 on in Nehemiah, we see he and Ezra rebuilding the worship, the obedience, the morality, and the devotion and, and spirituality of the people of Israel. But for Lake Ridge Baptist Church in the 21st century, a similar principle applies. Godly people make for a godly church. And God's people are built up the same way they have always been built up. And so today we are going to look at godly giving. You can groan. It's not a groaner. Godly giving. This is the kind of financial giving that brings us closer to God, right? That's not the pastor standing up here and twisting your arm and making you feel bad. The kind that brings you closer to God that makes you more like Jesus Christ. Now, I love giving, but I recognize that not everyone shares my enthusiasm. That is often a matter of our understanding of what giving represents, what it means, and really some of the bad practices, perhaps, that have been taken in churches in years and decades and centuries past. But I love giving to the church. I love giving to missions. I love giving to those who care for the poor and for those who seek out the lost. I love giving in our community. I love giving to the ends of the earth. Because you see, godly giving is the joyful and free giving that we are seeing demonstrated today by the people of Israel in Nehemiah chapter 7, verses 70 through 72. 
Now, some of the heads of fathers' houses gave to the work. And the work in this case is the rebuilding of the temple. The governor gave to the treasury 1,000 derricks of gold, 50 basins, 30 priests' garments, and 500 minas of silver. And some of the heads of fathers' houses gave into the treasury of the work 20,000 derricks of gold and 2,200 minas of silver. And what the rest of the people gave was 20,000 derricks of gold, 2,000 minas of silver, and 67 priests' garments. The event that is described here actually predates the rest of Nehemiah. It is actually looking back at the time when the people of Israel arrived back in Jerusalem to finish the work of rebuilding the temple. But it's brought into this portion of Nehemiah because this was both the beginning of the genuine rebuilding of God's house, but it was also the beginning of the rebuilding of God's people. And so as the writer prepares to describe the rest of the work of rebuilding the people of God, he reminds us of this pivotal moment in the life of Israel. And in fact, he's expanding on the events described in Ezra chapter 2, verse 68, which reads, Some of the heads of families, when they came to the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem, made freewill offerings for the house of God to erect it on its site. You see, the people of God, after they had made the the long and arduous and costly journey back from exile had arrived to a ruined and, and largely abandoned city. But before doing anything else, including building houses for themselves, they took up a voluntary collection of, of gold and silver and fine clothing to rebuild God's house and to, to restore its operation. This act of sacrifice was foundational to the rebuilding, not just of, of the temple, but really of the spiritual condition of the people because it, it spoke to their priorities and because the work of the temple was the central kind of core of the identity of the Jewish people. And that's why the writer of Nehemiah is reminding us. All of chapter 7 is really a recap of, of, a, of a passage from Ezra. And so here at the end of it, this is why the writer is, is reminding us of this event at this point in chapter 7, to set the stage for chapters 8 and beyond in Nehemiah. Everything else that comes in Nehemiah as we see the people be rebuilt, we see prayer and sacrifice and work and service and a, a passion for God's Word and for preserving God's people, all of it began at this moment with this collection and their willingness to give generously to the Lord. But the giving was not being done out of obligation or, or duty or a compulsion or a guilt trip. It was done out of love for God and in a manner and a purpose that promoted the godliness of the individual as well as the nation. This was voluntary and sacrificial, sacrificial giving for God's glory. And this is exactly the kind of giving that we are called to as Christians. And it's the, it's the kind of giving that actually promotes joy, right? Not drudgery, not misery. Joy and growth and godliness for each of us individually as we give and for us as a community of faith. As we look at this passage, I want to consider two simple truths that are illustrated by this collection that was done by the people of Israel, and, and then discuss how it provides an example for each of us who are committed to becoming more like Jesus Christ. Because what we see here is that godly giving is done freely and sacrificially. Now, I think too often in the past, churches have failed to teach either of these truths, so I'm going to repeat them. Godly giving is done freely and sacrificially. 
the first truth that we see is that godly giving is done freely. Giving that promotes godliness, that makes us more like Jesus Christ, is never done out of guilt or compulsion or burden or obligation or legalism. It is a voluntary choice to give to the Lord. The giving that we see in Nehemiah was a free will offering that was made clear to us by Ezra 2.68. Some of the heads of families, when they came to the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem, made free will offerings for the house of God to erect it on its site. As a free will offering, what it meant was that this massive gift of gold and silver was separate from any sort of tithe or tax or obligation, or duty, or law, or rule, or statute. It was a choice. Nobody forced the Israelites to, to give, even at this point where they are exhausted from a long journey, and no doubt concerned about how to protect and preserve their resources to build their own houses and to rebuild their ruined farms. No one forced them to give to the rebuilding of the temple. And yet they gave generously to support the building and operation of God's house. Although this occurred way back in the 5th century B.C., before the incarnation of Christ, it is still a helpful model for us because as followers of Jesus Christ, we're not under the old law. And so every gift we give is and should be a free will offering. We should not be giving based specifically on the Old Testament tithing system or because of guilt or because of a sense of legal obligation. Rather, we are each called to give voluntarily and freely out of the gratitude for the fact that as Christians, we have been given so much by the God who gave his eternal son for us. That we have been given forgiveness of sins. We have been given eternal life. We have been given a new identity and a new life in Christ. We have been given the presence of God in our life every single day, 24-7. 2 Corinthians 9-7 says, Each one must give, speaking of every Christian, must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. This is something that has always been convicting for me to make sure I stay on track attitudinally with my giving. God loves a cheerful giver, and a love for God, and a desire to please Him. That should be our motivation for giving. There's no place in the Christian faith for, for giving out of some sense of legal obligation. Instead, we are supposed to be giving joyfully because we are citizens of God's kingdom, and we are excited, we want to build God's kingdom here on earth so that more people can, can receive the gift we have already Received that we enjoy the joy that we already have. Now, in practical terms, that means that we have tremendous freedom in choosing what to give. Because godly giving is done freely. I don't stand up and give you a number, and then you grudgingly write a check for that number. Now, many of us have a general sense that a tithe of 10% is a good target for giving. That's Fine, I don't disagree as a good target. It's not a command, it's not a rule, it's not a law for Christians, but it does, I think, happen to be a good starting target to work toward if you're not already there. 
because it usually represents a genuine sacrifice on your part, and it makes a meaningful impact on God's kingdom through the local church. But since godly giving is a matter of personal conscience, a matter of your relationship and your leading from God, the amount we give needs to be based on our conviction and our prayer and our relationship with God. And if you take that seriously and you seek God's will and heart related to giving, speaking from personal experience, don't be surprised that as you earnestly pray about it, God starts leading you towards the joy of giving beyond 10%. Because that is where the giving starts to get really fun. When God calls you to that next level of giving, don't argue. Test Him out. Give it a shot. Speaking from personal experience, when he calls you that thing and then you start to try to negotiate with him on dollars and, and percentages, you, you're already on the wrong side of being a cheerful giver. As soon as I realize I'm there, it's like, okay, that's my pullback point. Like, all right, we're just going to do this thing that you're saying, God. What we need to realize instead is that giving to the Lord is not a burden. It is not a choice. It is not some obligation. It is a personal act of worship. So whether you put cash or a check in the plate, or whether you press the Give button on the website or the LRBC app, giving should be a joyful act of worship. And I hope and pray that it is for you. If not, I want you to start thinking about that when you give. That your gift is an offering given to God out of gratitude for God as an act of worship. Paul tells us in Philippians 4.18, I am well supplied, having Receive from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Now he's talking here about gifts, financial gifts sent to Paul to support his ministry financially, but he makes it clear, right? He understands these were not gifts to him. These are gifts offered up to God as an act of worship. So when you support the growth of God's kingdom by Supporting the ministry of this church by supporting our missionaries around the world via Lottie Moon and Andy Armstrong offerings. When you build the kingdom by supporting godly organizations like CareNet and the, the Jail Ministry and Compassion International, Water of Life, groups that share the gospel as they care for those in dire circumstances here and around the world, it's an act of worship and a gift to God. You should get excited about it. I love those things. Haggai 2.8 reminds us that everything we think we own already belongs to God. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. And so the personal decision that we each, and I mean each, each and every one of us has to make is how much of God's gold and silver are we going to hold on to for ourselves and our families? And how much are we going to give back to the Lord for His work, for His kingdom, the Lord who has blessed us in every possible way. Once we understand that giving back to God is an integral part of the life of worship, right? Not just a chore, but it is worship. And we start getting excited about giving, and we start getting excited about what our gifts are doing for God's kingdom, that's godly giving. And that brings us to a second truth from this morning's passage, that godly giving is sacrificial, the collection in Nehemiah didn't really have a specific target amount that we know of. It doesn't say, hey, I need X amount of silver and gold or we're not doing this thing. Instead, the people knew the vision and the purpose of the collection. Rebuild the temple. Resume proper worship of God. 
and they freely gave as they were able, and they gave sacrificially. You see, after spending money to buy the provisions for a long journey home, right? they didn't just catch a flight back to Jerusalem. Before they set about rebuilding their own houses, they gave in order to build God's house. And boy, did they give. Nehemiah tells us, the governor gave to the treasury a thousand derricks of gold, 50 basins, 30 priest garments, and 500 minas of silver. And some of the heads of fathers' houses gave into the treasury of the work 20,000 derricks of gold and 2,200 minas of silver. And what the rest of the people gave was 20,000 derricks of gold and 2,000 minas of silver and 67 priest garments. All right, that's a lot of numbers and a bunch of weird words that don't mean anything to us. So what does all that mean to us if we've never handled a derrick or a mina in our life? I did some research, and what it means is that they gave a little under 6,000 pounds of silver and about 640 pounds of gold. In today's dollars, it's about $15 million. It was spread across 42,360 people, according to Scripture, for an average gift of about $350. Okay, that sounds decent, but not terribly burdensome. Until you realize that dollars went a lot further back then, right? You think dollars went further when you were a kid. Let's go back thousands of years. One mina of silver, which today would be worth about $350, represented five years' wages. So the average Israelite gave five years' salary to rebuild God's house at a time when they hadn't even rebuilt their own house. That's sacrificial giving. Right, that's the kind of godly giving that was integral to rebuilding God's people that had just strayed so far and lost completely their identity and understanding of what it meant to be God's people. As disciples of Jesus Christ, we are also called to give sacrificially because and we do so because Christ sacrificed everything for us. 2 Corinthians 8, 8 and 9 reminds us, I say this, and he's talking about giving. I say this not as a command but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, for your sake He became poor, so that you by His poverty might become rich. This is the condition for each and every one of us as a follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God. He was present at the creation of the universe. Scripture tells us that by him all things were made. Scripture tells us that at this very moment, literally everything in creation is being held together by Jesus Christ. Right? Gravity works because he's holding us in place so we don't fly out of our chairs. And yet he chose to be born in a stable to a relatively poor family in the middle of nowhere 2,000 years ago. He chose to walk among us and to teach and to preach and to heal people and to work all kinds of miracles, and, and not so that he could grab power and declare himself an earthly king. He chose to go to Jerusalem to be betrayed and arrested and tried and beaten and humiliated and tortured and, and brutally killed on a cross. And why did he choose these things? Because he loves us. Because he loves to glorify his Father. Because he loves to restore creation to the perfection it was meant to be. 
And so Jesus went to that cross, not because he liked pain, but because he loved you and me enough to carry each of our sins, your sins and my sins, to the cross with him, to take the anger of God that should be directed at us and to put it on himself. He bore our sins and paid the penalty for every sin we've ever committed and every sin we're going to commit so that we wouldn't have to. He did it so that every single person who puts their faith in him as Lord and Savior would receive new life, forgiveness of sins, and life everlasting in the presence of God, the relationship with God we were meant to have. Jesus gave up everything and endured everything for us. He sacrificed it all for us. He, he sacri God sacrificed His beloved Son for us. And so we are called to give freely and sacrificially to God's kingdom in response. Our willingness to give freely and sacrificially reflects our love and our gratitude for that sacrifice of Jesus Christ. As we process these truths, I pray that you will find, as God's people have found for thousands of years, that it is a joy to give sacrificially. That there is tremendous pleasure to be had in giving when it hurts. Nearly 2,000 years ago, the churches in Macedonia were dirt poor. The people could barely put food on their own table, but they loved giving to God's kingdom. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 5, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I testify, but and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. The Macedonian Christians gave way beyond their means. They gave till it hurt, and then they kept giving, and they loved it. Some of my earliest experiences of sensing and obeying God's direction as a fairly new believer in my early 20s centered around His leading me to give sacrificially. That was never my first choice of what to do with a raise or a bonus. But I never once regretted following that, obeying Him and giving more than I had planned or, or rationally should have. There was such tremendous joy in the daring of it all and, and the delight and mystery that we get when we give sacrificially of not even knowing exactly what the impact is going to be, what the eternal impact is going to be, what the generational impact for centuries will be of our gift. But maybe someday in heaven we'll see. As a church, God has laid a very ambitious vision before us. And so as we look ahead to 2018, and yes, it is only two months and three days away, there is going to be ample opportunity to give sacrificially to turn that vision into reality. And so I would encourage you to be in prayer about giving sacrificially for God's kingdom here in Lake Ridge and to the ends of the earth. Giving sacrificially teaches us to rely on God rather than on our own means. Giving sacrificially teaches us to, to let go of stuff and grab hold of God. 
Giving sacrificially teaches us to value gratitude over gross income. It teaches us to feel the joy of being in God's will by building God's kingdom. So if you're not already experiencing the joy of godly giving, I would invite you to do so today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have given us so very much. Lord, you have blessed us with freedom. You have blessed us materially. You have blessed us with friends and family. You have blessed us with a church home, a place to worship you, a place to minister from, a place to be built up, and a place to reach out from, a place to welcome people in. You have blessed us through your Son, Jesus Christ. You have, through his sacrifice, washed away our sins, our shame, our guilt. You permit us, fallen though we are, flawed though we are, to enter into your presence in prayer and worship. You have assured us that you will welcome us into your presence for eternity through the blood of Jesus Christ. So, Lord, I pray that our understanding of these blessings and our gratitude for these blessings would would overflow in the kind of joy seen in the church of Macedonia, where we recognize what a what a glorious joy it is to worship you through giving freely, through giving sacrificially, for making a difference for your kingdom, for doing things that bring others into your kingdom. Let us be a people built up in godliness through the habit of godly giving. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.